0: Got coaches that no longer coach in certain places Mike White versus you know Georgia and Florida uh, you got you know a nice situation between two coaches who firmly respect each other and you know former NBA caliber and had a great series so far and Eric Musselman and Cal facing each other this week in Kentucky and Arkansas and then of course you got good old-fashioned interstate hate uh between Auburn and Alabama and the Iron Bowl of basketball, Maddie. It is like rivalry week, big time here in the SEC for several teams. Um uh, big matchups. Which one are you the most excited about? I know this episode is cornered really on Arkansas or not Arkansas, but Auburn, Alabama this week. Um, with Jordan joining the show. But which game are you the most excited about personally?
1: I mean, obviously, it's always fun when you kind of get those in state rivalry matchups. Unfortunately, we don't get to see much of a competition with Vanderbilt in Tennessee. Probably but not. I think Auburn and Alabama is going to be absolutely cutthroat. We're going to see a bunch of fan hatred towards each other. Um, obviously Auburn went in pretty hard when Alabama went through their struggles last season. Um, so I, I think it's just it's gonna be a fun week from an outsider kind of looking in at those two different programs. And then kind of seeing who comes out on top. We obviously have a kind of a super team with Alabama and their exceptional offense, but then we have Auburn who plays well on both sides of the ball. So it's kind of gonna be one of those, uh, like we talked about last week with Alabama and Kentucky. Will Alabama's offense beat out Auburn's defense? And how does it match up? So I think it's gonna be one of the more fun games and rivalries that we're watching this week.
0: That's a great game. I agree with you. That's Why it's our big focus in this episode, Uh, 100% with you. The game I'm really interested in um, is not so much a rivalry between teams, but really a competition to kind of prove who's the best big man. And the SEC, and that's Jani Broom versus Tolu Smith with Auburn versus uh, Mississippi State this week. Um, you know, we talked about last year, you know, Auburn beats Mississippi State and Neville, but like the reason is is because Mississippi State's guards can't hit a shot from deep at all to save their life last year. This year that shouldn't be the same problem. Instead, we're gonna have this great competition uh between Jennai Broom and Tolu Smith again down low, one that Tolu Smith dominated last year. Uh, So I'm curious to see how that matchup shapes up this week. But we are talking about all these great matchups, previewing the Iron Bowl of basketball with Jordan Harper of Tide Illustrated. Great show today here on the Hoop Southbound show. Before we talk about individual team performances and everything else this week one day this week just really stood out at the top of the sec when it came to individual performances now a lot of alabama fans when i tweeted this out you know about you know this super tuesday so to speak we're talking about you know griffin's performance against mizzou but really there were three performances that stood above all else and that was dalton connect against florida going for 39 points you had wade taylor uh, going for over 40 against Arkansas in Bud Walton. But wait, Arkansas still gets the win with Tremont Mart dropping 35 in the game winner against Texas A&M. I loved these games. These were great. These were awesome, awesome performances for each and every one of these players. I tweeted out at the end of the day that it was Knoxville, um, Texas <laughs> Wade-Nim, and, and uh, Arkansas. Uh, were this the, uh, the, that's how those performances went. They were the game was watching those guys. But out of all those performances, Maddie, which performance impressed you the most?
1: Listen, if I wasn't an Arkansas fan with anxiety about the fact that they lost a 20-point lead somehow, I would still be talking and wouldn't be able to shut up about Wade Taylor. I mean, he had exceptional cold-blooded execution that almost won them the game for A&M. Um, after basically being down the entire game at one point for 20 points, he took that game over. And if they would have walked away with the win, I think it's every headline that we would have seen. Um, after that game on Tuesday, granted, Arkansas isn't a great team. And last year, I was very high on Wade Taylor for anybody that watched the show. They they knew how excited I was about him and the things that he would be able to do. He's still doing it. He's still here. And I think he is going to be an excellent asset um, to Texas A&M as they continue to move forward in the season.
0: Yeah, you know, that shot that puts them ahead, that go-ahead shot that Texas A&M takes um, to, you know, with seven seconds left in the game, he's almost drawing contact in that one to draw a foul. He's going off the screen in a tough situation. There's four dudes like wrapped up in a pod out there outside that three. And he just sinks it. And as soon as he let the ball go out of his hand, I was like, "Wait, Taylor's making that. Wade Taylor's making that shot. Like, that's going to happen. And sure enough, I mean, nothing but net. It's a beautiful shot. It, it was a heck of a performance. One that any other given night, Texas A&M wins a game like that because Wade Taylor's playing that hard. The only thing that Texas A&M was really missing was like one or two guys really stepping up for them, um, you know, in that Arkansas game. Texas A&M just had a really bad night shooting and needed other players to contribute. Ta- Wade Taylor's performance was amazing, even in a loss. Like, it, it was great. The if performance
1: Henry Coleman...
0: Yeah, Coleman Coleman's. What's the missing? One hundred
1: percent would have been a win. Yeah, um, and then absolutely. you know I also think if you would have that shot that you're talking about, if you just kind of crop it, put the goal out there. Look, it looks like there's no way that ball is going in because of everything wow. that's going on. It, yeah. it was matchable. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, it, it it was it was impressive. It was truly impressive. It was a great shot by Wade Taylor. Uh, super, just amazing shot. Um, Of course, Tremont Mark hits that game winner in that game on his drive to the basket with, you know, the second time running down almost saves Arkansas season. Arkansas still a mess after their loss to South Carolina. But that was a moment. Maybe you were going to circle that shot and be like, this is the moment, you know, still Mm -hmm. hasn't happened. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to see where Arkansas is after this week. But that's probably why neither one of us are really talking about Tremont Mark's performance is because of the aftermath so far is still not paid out yet um but the performance i was most swept away by was Dalton Connect it wasn't so much just the game against florida it's really been to me with the offense that he has produced consistently for Tennessee, Dalton Connect is an amazing basketball player. He has shot up onto NBA draft boards just the same as Wade Taylor has. Um, he he's a great basketball player and he's shown that he can play at this level. Dalton Connect's legit. Um, you know, that performance against Florida at 39 points, he's shown it, you know, Georgia played a great game uh before him. Follows the Florida game up with another great performance against Alabama. Dalton Connect has been consistently performing at this high of a level and to continuously do it every time you break where you're at, it just becomes that much more impressive. And just being one point short of 40, amazing game from Dalton Connect. And we're going to talk about Tennessee here just you know a little bit um, coming into this next segment. But I, I was impressed, impressed with Dalton Connect and his ability on the offensive end that really takes this Tennessee team to a different level.
1: Oh, definitely. During that game, I think I tweeted something out like, at the very least, Dalton Connect is a late first round draft pick at this point. He's had amazing offensive production and, you know, takes this Tennessee team to a whole nother level.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I can see it. I can see it. Um, The only thing that, you know, maybe works against him is some of the younger players, you know, pushing him further and further down in the draft. We've seen that happen. But maybe he is this year's Colby Brown, who pops up late in the first round, Um, you know, and, and really surprises everybody. You know, Dalton Connect's been great. Um, The offensive consistency to get Tennessee out of droughts has just been he's a great basketball player. And to me that he's he is the conversation for one of the. uh for the, for the MVP of the league this year, you know, for, you know, the SEC player of the year. I, I think he's in that conversation with Wade Taylor as one of the best um, to be named uh, very soon as one of the very <laughs> to be named very soon at who's going to win that award for the SEC.
1: Definitely. And speaking of Tennessee, David, Aaron Torres dropped a little love for the Vols, but also dropped some harsh truths about them. Um, just quoting Torres real quick. Get that until Rick Barnes wins big in March. Tennessee won't get the credit that they deserve. But if you can't see that this team's offensive firepower makes them different than years past, you don't know ball. To win in March, you need three things. NBA talent, experienced guards, ability to win a number of different ways. High scoring, low scoring, etc. Tennessee checks all three of those boxes. Will they win in March? We'll find out, but they're as capable as anyone. Now, David, I know you like the Vols, but what are your thoughts on Torres' remarks about this team?
0: Yeah, so I think Torres is hitting the nail on the head. What have we talked about, you know, consistently when it comes to Tennessee – with, during the preseason, we were talking about like, oh yeah, no, Tennessee's got to make sure that their offense becomes a little bit more efficient, making sure that their t- the shots they take count more often, and they can't go in these long droughts where this team is struggling for five, six minutes, where they're having to get through with it on defense. What Tennessee has shown from an analytics standpoint is that they check the box over and over again in almost every offensive category, they are better. Their offensive rating is four points four points better than it was last year, almost four and a half. Their adjusted offense is seven points better than last year. Their points per game are up almost nine points uh, per game. And then they're shooting a whole percentage better from three this season. And they're shooting almost an additional three-pointer a game this season. Their offense has gotten a lot better. A lot better this season and that's preventing a lot of droughts and as we were just talking about Dalton Connect changes this team because he is a consistent bucket um you know he can find points and you're avoiding these droughts and these long stretches without baskets where you're just solely relying on your defense and I want to remind people you know that we may be talking about Rick Barnes being constantly a regular season merchant but what changes this team last year this Tennessee team made the sweet 16 with an injured Zakai Ziegler on the bench so Maybe Tennessee beats, you know, I believe it was Ford Atlantic who they played, uh, maybe wins that game, moves on to the elite eight, uh, and carries on and go, makes the elite eight last season. How much better would this Tennessee team be with Dalton Connect on the on it last year? Like that's that's the difference. Yeah. Like, you know, th- is Tennessee a Final Four team. They're starting to check a lot of boxes. They're starting to check a lot of boxes. They got a top two defense and a top 20 defense on Kempom uh, when it comes to who this Tennessee team is. They're the most complete team in the SEC. Uh, Tennessee looks great. They're very good basketball team. Don't get me wrong. Power rankings this week may say Auburn's number one, but that's because they're undefeated in conference play and have played well. Tennessee... Is probably the best team in the SEC right now. Um, they're they're hard to beat, and I, I think the offense, the ability to play better offense, is going to set the potential up for Tennessee to go much deeper this season. Do you what are your thoughts on the Vols? Because like I said, they're checking almost everything you can think of, um, besides the MTE win so far for what has been the pattern for a national champion.
1: Yeah. So I mean, you you talked about it a little bit when we talked about Tennessee last season. We notated their flaws. They were a great team, but, you know, they need to fix a few things. With Dalton Connect and Zekai Ziegler go back on the floor, I think you kind of cover those holes um, that, that they were missing last year. They, they aren't going on droughts like we've seen in years past. Now that we've got an experienced point guard and Zachai Ziegler, I think he's going to be able to lead this Tennessee team much further um, in the in the conversation, especially when it gets to March than they have been um in years past they've had the talent they just couldn't put all the pieces together you were missing a few puzzle pieces got lost in the move or whatever but they're all here now and I think Rick Barnes has finally put all of them into place
0: yeah no for sure and we talked about the proficiency that Tennessee showed against Duke uh in that tournament game when they played them and I believe we were talking about like just some of the inconsistencies that they were having down low at times when it looked at, like, some of those offensive stretches. Jonas Adu also has played some sensational basketball uh, for Tennessee, and he's showing up just how much of an improved player he is this season for the Vols. The front court's got three dudes who are growing Game by game, Awaka, Adu, and uh, JP Australia. I mean, those guys are all growing. Australia's probably the furthest down on the bench on the depth chart for sure. Um, but you know, Jonas Adu has raised his game to a level that you know he's hard to compete with. Uh, he's he's putting up double doubles against teams. You know, like he's playing really good basketball as well. And I think part of it is is that when you've got an offensive consistent offensive threat with Dalton Connect out there, it starts opening up other guys to play have big performances in different spots on the floor. And I think Adu has been a big beneficiary of that. Not he's he's raised his game and now he's getting, you know, good offensive situations to put himself in to pad that stat sheet. Um, you know, he, he's a good basketball player and he's helped a lot. Um, you know, like I said, we're missing like I think for Tennessee to truly be a national championship team. What we're missing is just one or two buckets from guys like Zakai Ziegler, Ganey and St. Diago Vescoby, just a little bit more. One more bucket, one more bucket a game. And like you're gonna see a Tennessee team that's gonna be just dang near impossible to beat. But like, look what they're doing at home. Look what they're doing. Look what they did to Ole Miss and look what they did to Alabama this weekend. Tennessee is a dang good basketball team. And I, I'm I'm thoroughly impressed. I'm glad that they're the team I picked to win the SEC this year because right now I'm feeling pretty darn good about that pick um with my with my current conference champion pick.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I don't blame you there, David. They are looking phenomenal. Another name to be mentioned, I think, is Triple J, too. We saw him with the talent last year, and I feel like he's slowly getting more and more consistent with every game. So by the time March comes around, he may be that guy to pick up an additional bucket per game that could lead them closer to that conversation.
0: Balls are a national championship contender. I am completely in belief of that. I believe this is the year that they at least at minimum tie their crop programs all time best. At least they get the situation. We'll always see how the bracket turns out for them, but you know, they have the potential to make, to get into the, to to at least tie the program's all time best as an elite eight team. Um, This team has the potential to make a final four. I believe that thoroughly, thoroughly believe that. And I think if you had a rematch between Purdue and Tennessee, I think you play that game 10 times and it would come out 50, 50. I I truly believe that. Um, So that's, my two cents on the Vols, uh, I'm feeling it. But you know a team who just sucks?
1: <laughs> yeah, there, there's a couple, but uh, I think, think I know which one you're talking about there, Dave. Yeah,
0: the team that everybody, including us, uh, we're really hyped about this season. And, um, you know, have just unfortunately played some of the worst basketball in the SEC this season. Um, we asked on Twitter... If this was the worst, um, or or we asked on Twitter, would the 2019-2020 Arkansas Razorbacks beat this current Razorbacks team? That's Eric Mussman's first team at Arkansas versus what is now his fifth team at Arkansas. And we got the results to that poll. And 80% of people said that not only would the Mason Jones... Um, led arkansas team beat this current razorback team they would beat them by more than 20 points now that might be a little bit emotional and uh, might be a little bit of a stretch but when you look at it this team may honestly not even just on a postseason um you know speculation with the razorbacks this team may truly be the worst team eric musselman has ever had as a head coach in college basketball not just arkansas in college basketball, um, the only team that I think is really like from a numbers standpoint, compare uh, a comparison is the 2015 2016 Nevada team um, who also had a very slim points differential between them and their opponents um, had kind of a lower end on ball movement, but that team could probably out rebound this Arkansas team Maddie. What are your thoughts? And I will throw this out there for anybody who's like, yeah, but that's Nevada. That's out in the Mountain West. The Mountain West has been a better conference than the ACC the last couple of years. So, according to Kim Palm and a couple of metrics out there. So, um, Maddie, what are your thoughts on this Razorback team and just where they're at?
1: You know, you mentioned you mentioned several times the, the Razorback team. I think what Eric Musselman has is a group of collectively talented players. But they don't play as a team. They don't use those talents to mesh well together um, to, to go out and get wins and kind of have the heart and determination um, to win for each other. It it seems – I don't know if, if that's what it is, but it just – something's not working, and I kind of feel like Eric Musselman's given up. I feel like the fans have given up, and for the first, like – Five six minutes of the game, you can tell if the team's giving up too, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, we went to that South Carolina game, and my friend that I brought with me, I apologized. I was like, "Listen, I am so sorry that this is your first experience in Bud Walton Arena because this is not normal Arkansas basketball."
0: It's not. It's it's not by any means. Um, this I can't. This is I, I'm trying to think back um to a worst team that Arkansas's had and I, I think I got to go back to the Mike Anderson years because I, I truly believe that none of Mus's teams are, are are worse than this team, none of them. Um, you know, and it, that's not just on where they ended up in the season, you know like I, I think the individual players, you know let, let's go back to what Torres was saying there for Tennessee for just a second. you know, you got to have NBA talent to win. Well, the 2019, 2020 Arkansas Razorbacks, had Mason Jones, who got a chance to go play for the Lakers, and they had Isaiah Joe, who's currently on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, that wasn't a bad team. Um, you know, and they could win in a variety of different ways. They played decent defense. They held their opponents to under 70 points a game. Uh, and then, you know, you had guys like, you know, Adriel, Adriel, Bailey on that Arkansas team who would fight for rebounds. And that was a bad, that was Eric Musselman's worst rebounding team. Um, you know, so I, I think he would grab a couple of boards against this Razorback team. Uh, and this Razorback team has more size so you know I'm just not there with this team at all when you look at the numbers you know I'm with you it does seem like a bunch of individuals and I think things just haven't worked Um, but I think this also says a couple of things too Eric Musselman missed it also goes back to what I was saying earlier in the season um, when I was like I don't know if Jermon Mark is the if, if you want him as the primary ball handler I now completely flip that statement because what I now believe is that. Tramon Mark is being put in these situations. The reason that you're not seeing the all the ball movement, and everything else is that no one's going with Tramon Mark. Um, that's that's really what it is. And it's not, it's not the other side of that where we, or anything else on the floor. It's people are just not going with him. And I think he's the he's kind of like the heart and soul right now of this Razorback team. I, I think I I think that's really the case with Tramon Mark. Um, if Arkansas did not have Tremont Mark, they wouldn't be in a single ball game. They just wouldn't. And I think that Duke game is an outlier where this team just is desperate and needed a win and they found a way, but like, you know, as far as if you were putting that situation with other teams, I don't know if it's, if it stands that way, you know, if someone else stands up, Arkansas beat Texas A&M this week. Let's talk about that just a little bit, you know, and they play them out and played a fantastic first half one where Eric Musselman went, I don't know where this came from. Um, where has this been? And, you know, you're really feeling good after that first half. Texas A&M comes back, but they really had to muck up the ball game to do it, make it a mess to make yeah. that game uh, a free throw battle, anything they could let Wade Taylor take advantage of as many possessions as they possibly could. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was one of those where you're just trying to gross up the game as much as possible because you can't make a basket uh, if you're Texas AM. and then Arkansas just had no one else besides Tremont Mark on the offensive end in that second, second half, besides maybe L Ellis who made some contributions. Um, but then Arkansas comes out and plays bad against South Carolina. How do you, Maddie? Why can't this team build momentum, uh, either? Why do you, what do you think that is?
1: You know, I I think it's probably a mental thing. Uh, it's got to be because you know we like you said we saw them have an excellent first half. If you can't build momentum off of a game like that, where you know pretty much nobody's really expecting you to win anymore at this point, and you come out and prove yourself, I I feel like you should have you know a little bit more egos. Like yeah, we got this, but I. I do not know. I think, you know, one of the things after that game, I saw somebody tweeted and said, you know, the must bus is fixed. And I said, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. I said, we got a spare to limp the must bus away. Basically at this point there, that is not a 100% diagnosis. It is not fixed yet. And obviously after that South Carolina game, it is definitely still in the shop.
0: Yeah. I, I would say that if you had beaten South Carolina, Uh, This week, uh, you would be feeling a little bit more confident about your own situation if you're Arkansas to where you know you have a pulse uh, for making the tournament. But this is, as as I mentioned last week, Eric Musselman has never missed some form of the postseason uh, with one of his college teams. This year, Arkansas, according to one bracketologist I saw, this team has a less than 1% chance currently of making the NCAA tournament. That's staggering how ridiculous that is. No one saw this. No one saw this coming. The floor for Arkansas when we did our preseason was that they'll win 20 games because Eric Musselman has never not won 20 games in college basketball as a head coach. And they will make the tournament at worst case in that awkward, tough spot, make the round of 32 or don't, um, but have to face a one or two seed 7 to 10 range. Um, you know, that that you didn't quite make you avoided the bubble, but you weren't exactly a good team either. Um, you know, it's kind of like when Arkansas had to rework their entire offense last season. Uh, so, you know, I, I I don't know. Like, it's this this is just not it. And yeah, Arkansas has got a chance to get themselves right this week. Really save the season with two quad one opportunities with going to Ole Miss and then facing Kentucky at home. But do they have the fire firepower to do any of that? That's, that's the real question.
1: I don't think they do, but I guess we will see.
0: We'll see. We'll see. Um, again, very little faith in this current situation. And again, one of those teams they are going to be facing for a quad one opportunity college game day is coming to fate, coming to Fayetteville to watch this Kentucky team. My goodness. Um, okay. So before we talk about this last week, We did not know that Big Z was going to be coming out for Kentucky. So we were talking our frame mind was our frame of mind really talking about it was we think Kentucky's gonna win this basketball game, but Georgia, Georgia, we're talking about Georgia a little bit and like how you know Georgia's got this chance to make this really big statement in their season, really get this signature win they need, to put themselves firmly in the NCAA tournament conversation. And then you knew that narrative was completely dead Saturday morning when you know when big z makes the announcement to big blue nation that i'm eligible to play and boy did he play oh my gosh um this was wild maddie like he gets in there for a grand total of 16 minutes in this game sporadically he gets in the game and puts up ridiculous numbers He's making behind-the-back passes to Antonio Reeves. He's doing crazy things. People are tweeting, like, you know, outrageous things. Like, he's already the greatest wildcat to ever put on Kentucky Blue. I'm out there just going along with the fun and tweeting, Big Z greater than Victor Wimbenyama. Like, you know, it, it, it's wild. Just like, what what did you take away for Big Z? Because you knew Kentucky was not losing that game once uh, once the billboards paid off for Big Blue Nation.
1: Yeah, I mean, first you had the ridiculousness of Big Blue Nation renting the billboard in front of the CAA box of to get to get Big Z out there. Now that he finally is, you know, we talked a lot about Kentucky defense being a little lackluster. I problem solved. They're done. They don't have to worry about that anymore. Cause Big Z went out there three blocks, two seals. I mean He only got five rebounds, but I think he had potential for more. And that's only in 16 minutes.
0: (laughs) Just first off, we got to all pump the brakes. We're just all falling in love with this. If he follows it up great good for him if he does it again against South Carolina good for him I think he was a little bit like excited to get on the floor just a little bit you know like I think he's going to be a good player but like it was also at the exact same time I think his kid was ready to play basketball and he wasn't holding anything back in that first game in front of like anytime the guy touched the ball and did something semi-decent Rupp was going crazy like that they were so excited for this um you know he played great he played awesome you you just gotta love it for him. it's like the perfect situation it's too ridiculous uh just how well that went uh for Kentucky like I said Georgia didn't stand a chance once that news broke out like, you know it that was the momentum train being switched on into overdrive and everything else. Like, you know, you're setting up for what you think is gonna be a battle and an opportunity for Georgia to make the biggest statement of their season and Rupp Arena. and it's absolutely not the god, the basketball gods will not have this, and uh Big Z is playing playing hoops Drop
1: some nitro on that train and <laughs> it took
0: off. Yeah, they 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 put something in there, you know, like that that was just crazy town. Um, you know, it, just how crazy that was. My um, favorite moment of this entire thing. Big Z gets the dunk, hangs on the rim, Finds out that way that you can't do that in uh, American college basketball. It's OK in Europe. But he says, quote, ah, I didn't know. I forgot about it. Evesic uh, said uh, with a big smile, I'm still kind of, you know, knowing the rules. I, I don't know every, every rule here. So by bad, Coach Cal, My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's OK for him to hang on the rim in Europe. Um, but like here, college basketball, he can't do that. <laughs> um, so but yeah, no, let him hang on the rim. Let him <laughs> like this is, this is too much. It's too much fun. It's entirely too much fun, too great of a moment uh, to not enjoy this. If you're a fan of college basketball, love everything about Zavon Amir, get used to hearing that name mispronounced everywhere that you go for the rest of the season, because Big Z is here to stay for Big Blue Nation, and it's going to be fun. Um, really, I, I can't wait to watch him when he comes to Bud Walton this weekend. Um, you know, that'll be that'll be fun. It's going to be a good time. I don't know how anybody's going to keep up with him if he's playing like that. So we're going to see. That'll be his third game in college basketball when we see him here in Fayetteville. But excited for it. It's excited for it. You got so many NBA players on this team. You're just adding Mm -hmm. another one uh, to this Kentucky roster. It's unfortunate we're only going to get to see him for half a season. Like, I wish we could see more of him because, like, he's going to the NBA draft this year.
1: Yeah, if we would have seen more of him earlier in the season, I feel like we would have a completely different conversation of where Kentucky's at and where they where they can
0: go. You remember when I was talking about is that trend going to break about the uh, top uh, top twelve in week six being a national champion? Maybe, maybe Big Z and Kentucky are the reason that trend breaks. They'll cause... they'll
1: keep they'll keep the trend, but put an asterisk say except for twenty twenty four because Big Z came back.
0: Just out of curiosity, do you think Zach Eady could guard Big Z around the perimeter?
1: Ooh, that'd be a tough one. That'd be a tough matchup, and that'd be a fun one to watch, for
0: sure. Where where I'm going with this changes the team quite a bit. And that with Welch's offense that they've put together in Kentucky, I mean, I'm just saying, that's a very different Kentucky offense, very different Kentucky team. Maybe this is the first team that we've seen in years outside the top 12. Um, It'd be the first time since Syracuse, as we talked about, since Syracuse won the national championship, that a team from outside the top 12 in week six won a national championship. kentucky has got a shot. I think they got a shot. All right. We do need to talk about some serious news today on the show. And that's concerning Alabama. Um, We've had Missouri fans reaching out to us on Twitter and our DMs asking us to talk about this this week on the show. Nate Oates on Tuesday, if you haven't seen the video, put his hands on a Missouri player who was more or less in his huddle on a dead ball. And that was Aiden Shaw. Now, this led up because of some chippiness, I'll call it, between the players on the court. And it bled over into the Alabama huddle after a dead ball. Now, Nate Oates has apologized for putting his hands on Aiden Shaw, saying, I have all the respect in the world for the job Gates has done as an assistant and head coach, uh, Oates said after the game. No disrespect to him or his program. I apologize to both, both Coach Gates and Aiden Shaw. Aiden seems like a great kid. It's an unfortunate situation, but I, but I apologize to both of them. Dennis Gates has this to say, and I think this is a solid point by Gates. Nate apologized after the game, Gates said, but I just posed, I just posed the question, if that was players in a huddle with a hand on an opponent, what would take place? It would have been an automatic technical foul, right? I thought I saw two referees in the huddle. It wasn't a technical foul, but that's the question I would pose. If it was players making hand contact, that would take place. Greg Sankey has remanded Nate Oates, saying Nate Oates' actions were unacceptable and violated the expectations for conduct and sportsmanship as established by the membership of the Southeastern Conference. Under no circumstances should a coach make intentional contact with a student-athlete on an opposing team. Now, before we get into talking hoops today, Maddie and the upcoming week ahead, I I just want to comment on the situation first off i have no problem with the message that nate oates was trying to send uh get out of my huddle it seems like a pretty fair thing for a coach to say to a player the problem was putting his hands on aiden shaw to me was the the issue and to me i i agree with dennis gates i there's no tech here there's no free throws there's no whatever then the sec just, you know, since, you know, rep, reprimands him. Um, but I, I, I kind of agree, like this should be a technical foul. This, sh- this should not be allowed. Um, there, this should be, you know, a flagrant one or however you want to put it, this should be a penalty on a coach. Um, if you can, you know I'm just saying, if you can have a coach who maybe drops the F word accidentally while yelling at a referee, the other team shooting free throws for that, putting your hands on a, def- on a person who is not one of your players, you should also be a technical foul. Uh, in my opinion, um, but I, I, I welcome your opinion on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, Oates shouldn't have put his hands on on a kid, especially from another team, but the act wasn't violent. There, there was no intent there, you know, for anything more than just to get out of my huddle, like you said. You know, I think if it was more physical, yes, we should be making a huge deal about it, I kind of think it's gotten blown out of proportion, partially because no one's talking about Aiden Shaw instigating it, trying to escalate what was already a bad situation. I I think 100% Shaw was instigating, trying to, you know, get something to happen there. Um, But, you know, if we are treating these players as professionals now, getting paid to be there, then they need to act like it too. So, you know, not saying anything, you know, like, Oats shouldn't be reprimanded or anything like this. But also, you know, I think they're shaming Nate Oats a lot more than what's caused for the situation.
0: I mean, you said right there, these players need to be treated like or act like professionals do. Professionals start fights all the time. Um, I mean, like we got Draymond Green out here, you know, chokeholding somebody. Then you got fights that happen all the time in Major League Baseball. Uh, Across sports, it's constantly happened. The NFL has it about once a week. Uh, I'm just saying like, you know, like, I don't think it's a matter of acting like professionals. I think you're a coach and they're players. Like There's a difference between which role you take uh, on the court. Coaches break fights up. They don't get in the middle of them, and they don't make contact with players who are not their own. Uh, I, I think that's a difference. All right, shifting gears, this is Rivalry Week in the SEC, and we're joined by Jordan Harper from Rivals and Tide Illustrated to talk about this great week of SEC basketball and, of course, the Iron Bowl basketball here coming up on the Hoop Southbound Show. And we welcome to the show. Jordan, it seems like you've been a little reluctant to come on here um, the last couple of times I've messaged you. Is everything going okay, you know, over there in Bama Land?
2: Yeah, I reckon so. I mean, it's coming off a six-game win streak, and then you know, you're, you're kind of due for a game like that. Not you don't you hope it's not that bad, but um, yeah, every, everything's going good, you know, four and one in conference. Um, here locally, you know, we just had a big winter storm hit us. So I've been you know, yesterday was the first time I gotten out of the house since Sunday. And with two kids under four, that's that's very difficult to handle most times. But other than that, all's good over here.
0: All right. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, I know I feel you on the winter storm. I didn't leave my house until Wednesday uh oh. from here. And we got another round coming in uh, up here in northwest Arkansas of freezing rain. So I'm supposed to get a half an inch tonight. So yeah, sure. good times all around. All right, Jordan, um, before we talk about this Iron Bowl of basketball, I I do want, we were talking before you got on here as outsiders, but I do want to get some Tide perspective, talk a little bit about the incident that happened with Nate Oates and Aiden Shaw on Tuesday. Um, Just any thoughts really as a Tide fan and kind of how that situation transpired and how did you feel the SEC kind of uh, handled the situation between uh, Coach Oates and the player Aiden Shaw?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of various, various opinions out there, obviously. And, you know, be, being an Alabama rider and an Alabama fan my whole life, obviously I'm going to have a, a little rosy look on it, but he shouldn't have done it. Um, that's one of – I'm a former coach as well, um, basketball specifically, and that's just one of the things you don't do is, you, you know, you can touch your, your players as long as you're not being too demonstrative, um, Bobby Knight level. But, you know, the opposing players have always been – you know, you you leave them alone. And that's kind of been the the coach's role um, universally. But, you know, Nate is a very passionate guy, as, as a lot of younger coaches are. And I feel like it was probably a heat of the moment thing. And you could tell after the game he ran up to Dennis Gates and really regretted what he did. Um, and you could tell in his press conference he did as well. Uh, the reprimand was no, no surprise. I'm sure there was a lot of pressure from the Missouri side to get – some sort of statement or reprimand out there. I'm sure there were suspensions or fines that were that were warranted from that um, and that what a lot of people probably wanted. Um, but really, nothing's going to please everybody in what you do. So they just kind of – since there wasn't a technical call, which was very surprising to me considering there were two referees standing there, um, I'm sure they were shocked as everybody else that what happened. So they just kind of let it go, I guess. Um, but from my perspective he's a he's a passionate guy he to the moment um sometimes you let that take them take advantage of you um Shaw was standing there I don't know what he didn't look like he said said anything he was just kind of standing in the middle of the huddle and Nate was getting ready to talk to his team so he just kind of it wasn't a demonstrative shove it was just kind of a get get back type of shove and I mean that's all that's all it takes to rile a bunch of people up but um, overall shouldn't have done it, heat the moment. Um, you know, it, it's college sports. These are all adults and now they're paid, you know, they're they're paid employees basically now. So it's not like if it happened in high school, it would have been a lot bigger deal than what it was um that night.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. Definitely a variety of opinions out there. Um, I know that we had Missouri fans messaging us on Twitter wanting to talk about the story, but we thought it was fair to also ask somebody who's in the Alabama world a little bit, also their perspective on it, and not just to outsiders here. Uh, Let's talk about basketball, Jordan. Jordan, this week is the biggest matchup so far this season for both Alabama and Auburn, arguably, but I want to start by going back a little bit. The trajectory of both these programs uh, have been dramatically changed within the last decade or so. What has allowed the Alabama Auburn matchup to rise to the profile of this in basketball? And where and where it's now like arguably the biggest rivalry in the SEC at this moment?
2: Yeah, used to, um, even before SEC network came about, um, Alabama and Auburn basketball was kind of put on the sideburners. Uh, you know, when it was Tony Barbie and Anthony Grant, or um even back when it was Mark Godfrey, Auburn. You know, Auburn was fairly decent early in the 2000s, but it's always just been, you know, between Alabama and Auburn fans, it's been a big deal. But nationally, it's just never gotten the recognition that it, I mean, it didn't really deserve any um, based on how mediocre the programs have been for the past, you know, before Nate Oates and Bruce Pearl got here. But now Nate Oates and Bruce Pearl have done such fantastic jobs, not only marketing their programs to higher level recruits. Um, getting those guys in is what propels you up to be in a consistently winning program. And they're just really good coaches in their own right. Um, Doing that consistently, in which Bruce Pearl's been there, you know, what, 10 years now. It was a bumpy start for the first two to three years. But once he got his feet under him, got his guys in, and got guys to buy in, they've been as consistent as any in the SEC the past six, seven years. And Nate Oates has done that. You know, he had a more firm foundation that Avery Johnson left him uh, when he came in. But he has kept the ship rolling and kept the trajectory going even further than what Avery Johnson had it. So being able to market your team, have a fun brand to play, being passionate. I mentioned that about Nate Oates earlier. Bruce Pearl is probably the most passionate coach in the SEC. Um, guys want to come play for that. And where they've kind of collided has been since Auburn made the Final Four. That's when Alabama really said, "Okay, we got to go get somebody." Let Avery Johnson go. Nate Oates came in. COVID year crashed that party. Um, Alabama wasn't that good, anyways. But after that, it's been Alabama and Auburn top four every single year. Seems like battling it out for the SEC uh, regular season championship. And that's really kind of where it's come from, is from the depths of, you know, bottom half of the SEC consistently to both teams being in top four, top five in contention for the SEC every year. And I think that all starts with the head coach and the administration kind of laying everything out for them and giving them all they need to be successful.
0: That's totally fair. Um, Yeah, no, it's it's been a totally different atmosphere uh, in the world of Alabama basketball over the last 10 years. And yeah, you can definitely circle that hiring of Bruce Pearl and the hiring of Nate Oates uh, as being a centerpiece to that. Maddie?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, rivalries are obviously so much more fun when both teams are competitive, both having a good year. I mean, we talked a lot about Kentucky Louisville this year, how it kind of slipped (laughs) off. There wasn't even a rivalry there. But, you know, kind of looking, Alabama's had probably one of the most odd resumes in the upper echelon of the SEC this season. Um, You know, they had two low-end Q1 wins against Indiana State, who is probably one loss away from being a Q2, and Mississippi State on the road. So how significant is it that Alabama gets this one against Auburn at home for sake of their resume going into March?
2: Well, you have to think that home – Quad one wins are are kind of rare when you think about it because it only takes into the uh, you know into account the top thirty net teams, and when you think about a conference that has fourteen teams and only about three or four teams that are in that top thirty, you might not play all of them at home. And if you didn't get any in the non-con, like Alabama did, which they played majority of theirs on the road, uh, their big games anyway, it's really huge. Uh, You have an opportunity to get. In your home gym, a Quadrant One win, which is going to be probably – this is probably the biggest win that they could have all year. And to have it at home is, is a big deal. Uh, you, you know, you can go to, you know, two games later and get a Quad One win at Georgia. But what what kind of merit is that going? It's going to hold about the same weight as winning at home against Indiana State or at Mississippi State? Nobody's going to bat an eye to that. But the metrics love Alabama, obviously. But like you said, their resume – their <laughs> metrics – um, are kind of carrying them right now, and they really need that resume win to where everybody's like, okay, they beat a top ten team, they're for real, or something like that. I do think Alabama is a top six, top six seed in the tournament right now. I think they're a top, you know, 25, 30 team overall, um, but they really lack that signature win, like you said, Maddie. And um, with your rival coming in to your home gym, uh, it doesn't get any bigger than that.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I do want to throw this out there as well. Auburn hasn't won a quad one game yet mm-hmm. this season. They're 0-2 in quad one matchups. Uh, Auburn's resume is still a little bit less than impressive to me. But Jordan, when you look at this game, what is the most significant matchup on the court between these two teams, in your opinion?
2: It's going to be the front court. And that's where Auburn has a huge advantage with Chad Baker-Mazra, Jalen Williams, Janai Broom, and... Uh, Alabama just doesn't have doesn't have the horses if they're going to get into a you know a, a paint match to where it's just get, Auburn slowing the pace down. They they don't play fast anyways. Um, they play a pretty moderate pace. But if they make it to where they're doing what Tennessee did and just getting paint touch after paint touch after paint touch, it's going to wear Alabama down. Not only physically but foul trouble. Um, you know Alabama commits a lot of fouls from their front court. Noah Pringle always seems to get three to four fouls a game. Muhammad Wagee can only play 10 or 15 minutes at a time. He's injured right now, but he still fouls a lot. And Grant Nelson, you kind of have to pick your pick and choose times when you want him to play the five as well because he's going to get in foul trouble if he plays the five too much. And, you know, as bad as he's been offensively, he's actually been Alabama's best interior defender all season, especially in SEC play, averaging two blocks and a steal of games. But the front court's going to really decide it, I think, rebounding. Um, That's something that Tennessee dominated early in the game. Um, You know, recently they were at one point up nine to nothing in offensive rebounds, and they got several second-chance points to kind of push that lead out um, and kind of push it out of reach for Alabama. So preventing those second-chance opportunities for Janiah Broome, Jalen Williams, and I think Alabama has a good – um, a very good matchup against Auburn in the backcourt. I think their their backcourt is far superior. Aiden Holloway is is a decent player right now. I think he can be really good. Um, he's still trying to find his footing, has a great assist to turnover ratio being three to one, but he's shooting 32% from the field. Um, so he's not a threat offensively. He can obviously get hot from three if, if you let him, but guys like him and Denver Jones and Trey Donaldson – None of those guys scare me when you're putting them up against guys like Aaron Estrada and Mark Sears. Um, So if you're looking for a matchup, um, you know, one-on-one matchup, I'm going to say it's going to be Rylan Griffin against Jalen Williams. I figure that's who they'll put Rylan Griffin on, who's the best defense, perimeter defender Alabama has. Now, he he got kind of taken to school against Dalton Connect, which surprise, surprise, he takes everybody to school. But um, he's about unstoppable right now. But all season, Rylan Griffin's been a very good perimeter defender. And um, I, I think that's going to be a huge matchup because Jalen got hot last year um, at Auburn against Alabama and in um, Tuscaloosa from three. So you can't let them get get those three-pointers off because they they don't shoot it well from three. They're 183rd in the country in percentage. But um, that, that's one area Alabama has to dominate um,
1: from three-point line if Alabama's going to win this game. For sure. So, Jordan, you talked a lot about the front court. You know, we've seen Alabama kind of struggle with dominant big men. Um, You know, just mentioned Zach Eady, P.J. Hall, uh, Jonas Adu. So how do you expect, you know, as kind of the Alabama expert, how do you expect them to game plan uh, for Jani Broom?
2: Yeah, it's it's really going to be tough because they they run a lot a lot of high ball screens, um, which most the majority of the country does. Um, so they're going to have to decide: are they going to jump the screens, are they going to hard hedge, or are they just going to go back to their old ways and do a little bit of drop coverage to prevent Jana Broom getting position, which is going to open up a lot of mid range and threes for them. Um, so you kind of have to play the percentages there to where they don't shoot very well from you know twenty feet and out. So it. Me, personally, I would jump the jump the screen, play a little bit of, um, you know, help defense from the the weak side, go cover Broom, and then you're just going to have to leave a guy in the corner and just play scramble after that. You can't let guys like Aiden Holloway and Trey Donaldson come off those high ball screens and get downhill. Because at that point, Alabama's in trouble. They're going to foul or they're going to get a kick out anyway or to get an alley to um, Jani Broom. So to me, I think they really need to hedge hard, um, stay true to what they've been doing here recently and just trust it. Tennessee is just an awful matchup. So I just kind of throw that away as an, an outlier game just because that hasn't happened to them recently. But um I would run a hard hedge on on them in the high ball screens and just help off them. Janile Brim if he gets one on one on a mismatch. I mean, I would just trust that Auburn's not going to
0: consistently make outside shots. I mean, fair enough. All right, let's go to the uh, picks in this one. Kim Palm has this game as tight as Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney on Welcome to Rexham. All right, so they've got this game 84-83 at 56% for the Tide at home. Who do you guys have? Jordan, we'll start with you on the pick. I know that we've had – just don't feel any pressure to pick Alabama if you don't want to because we've had plenty of people pick against their team as guests. <laughs>
2: No, if you if you had me last or on Saturday or something, I would have 100 picked Tennessee um, over Alabama. So I that was the first game I had Alabama losing. I think when we did our little predictions um, before the season back in September, I had Alabama losing to Mississippi State as well on the road as well as Tennessee. So I had them starting out three and two. Um, but no, I I really think that in this rivalry, home court has been so huge to where Alabama can rarely win in Auburn. They won once in COVID year when there was no crowd. And then, you know, last year, obviously, when Alabama had a superior team. This year, I really think Alabama and Auburn are really, really similar, really close in terms of, of talent and how good they are overall. Um, even though, I, you know, I wish people didn't care as much about the AP poll as a lot of people do. Because you're seeing, like, that Reach. people in college basketball is useless. If it, it just pulls a lot of false narratives, like Memphis being nearly, you know, top ten, and then they they lose at home um, this past week. I'm like, look at their metrics. I mean, people don't want to look at metrics that hard because, you know, I, I don't know, people aren't anti-analytical. But Alabama and Auburn's always been right there in the top ten, right neck and neck with each other in the Kempom, net, whatever you look at, Torvik. It, I really think it's going to be a close game, and they're really close. I just feel like Alabama's going to have a packed house for the first time, probably all season. Um they, Their crowds have been really lackluster this year, but this this Wednesday, I see it being packed out, being a good home court advantage, and I think it's going. To, they're going to hold home court and probably win somewhere around seventy eight to 72, 73, something like that.
0: That would actually be a lower scoring game than I would anticipate. I was thinking eighties also, but yeah, yeah, all right. I wonder what led you to the uh, that score. Just curiosity.
2: I really think Auburn's defense is for real. Um, they're they're, you know, they're top forty in the country in scoring defense, field goal defense. They're top ten, and like they're probably going to go with the same blueprint that Tennessee had: playing a little bit physical, put your hands on them, um, which Tennessee gets away with a lot of hand checks, a lot of a lot of off ball holding, um, especially on their home court. Um, where they play more comfortably, but um, I think Alabama will be probably beneficial of a softer whistle um, or a quicker whistle on while they're on offense. So I feel like Auburn will slow them down, um, but I feel like Auburn's offense is also not not good enough to put up ninety or eighty five or eighty. Alabama's defense is pretty bad, but I just don't think Auburn's going to be able to go on the road and score that much. Um, especially uh, at Alabama. Now, they didn't even score a whole lot against Vanderbilt on the road. So I don't think them I don't see them going into Alabama and shooting the lots out either. So I, I could enough. see it being um kind of a slugfest.
0: fest, okay. fair enough. Maddie, who do you got?
1: Um, I'm gonna call Apollo over here because his guess is as good as mine. Like I have no clue. I think I can flip a coin right now. You know, it I feel like it's it's gonna be a tight game, like Jordan said. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be a little more high scoring because I think Alabama is going to have to beat Auburn with their offense. So Auburn's just going to try and keep up with that pace. Um, but I think I'm going to go Auburn by a very very slim margin, mainly because we've kind of seen um, higher rated defensive defenses um, kind of take over Alabama. You know, the home court advantage is huge here, so it's not it wouldn't surprise me at all if Alabama comes out with a win here, but
0: I'm
1: I'm gonna go Auburn.
0: I am gonna go Alabama in this one. As I've stated a couple of times, there's gonna be a couple of losses, a couple of losses on whoever wins the SEC's resume this year. I don't think it's gonna be an an O4 or just one loss team this season. So regardless, I think at Auburn's overdue for a loss at this point, as the only undefeated team left in home court advantage and offense seem pretty uh, favorable for the tide for me as well. So I, I'm going to rock the tide here, same way that I picked uh, last week Tennessee over Alabama in that one. All right, let's – If Jordan's hanging out with us, let's go on and talk about the other games. We've got two former Big 12 teams facing off. Texas A&M faces Mizzou and Reed Arena. Texas A&M got the win in their rematch with LSU on Saturday in nail-biting fashion. And they also lost to Arkansas and Bud Walton on Tuesday. Mizzou, of course, is still trying to find their first win in SEC play. Who are you guys picking in this one and why? Maddie, we'll go ahead and start with you, then we'll talk to Jordan.
1: So, I'm going to go with Texas A&M on this one. With the way we've seen Mizzou struggle so far this season and with A&M kind of attempting to boost their resume after a bad loss last week, I think they're going to be able to take an easy win at home to kind of help pad the stats here.
0: All right. Jordan? Yeah,
2: I've got, I've got A&M too. Um, I just think they're they're more talented than Missouri. Missouri is – they've been clawing and scratching – um, you know, they gave Kentucky a decent game at Kentucky. They never went away there. Um, lost to South Carolina at home to overtime. Played Alabama a really good game in Tuscaloosa last week. And I thought played, played Florida well as, also. But I don't think there's any way they're going to stop Wade Taylor. Um, I think he's going to be too much for for that Missouri backcourt. Um, and I, I think a and going to come out with a win.
0: I would agree with all of you, so let's make it a clean sweep for Texas A&M in this one. To me, they're the better team, but if you're looking for a stat, it's rebounding. Uh, Texas A&M is one of the best uh, teams in the conference in creating second-chance points. Uh, And Mizzou is terrible on the glass, as we've pointed out about a billion times this season. Uh, So I'm going to Aggies in this one. Kim Palm has it 77-66 at 83% uh, for the Aggies. Maddie?
1: All right, let's head down to Mississippi for our next two games. First off, going to Oxford, Arkansas will face Ole Miss in the Pavilion. Ole Miss coming off back-to-back losses last week against LSU and Auburn. So, Arkansas was able to get one win last week against Texas A&M, but are coming off a terrible loss to South Carolina in buckeye Ugh it Doesn't <laughs> get any easier. No matter. We were there. How many- we, were there. we know.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> now in this Ole Miss Arkansas matchup, Eric Musselman has never lost to Ole Miss. In fact, Arkansas hasn't lost Ole Miss in over five years. I feel like David is setting me up for failure with this with the script today. But what makes this game different, and does the winning streak for the Hogs come to a halt?
0: Uh, I'll go ahead and get it started because I set you up for failure there. Yeah, no it is. Um simply put, Ole Miss has played really well at home this season, getting the wins against North Carolina State. Um, they beat Memphis at home. and then we after they got their, you know, they got their face beat in by Tennessee's defense uh, in Tennessee, they came home and put it on Florida. Um, so normally they bounce back pretty well when they get back to Oxford uh, this season under Chris Beard. I will say rebound differential is going to be a part of it, but overall, I mean, Ole Miss has played, you know, better than Arkansas in almost every conceivable metric um, because Arkansas has just not done things well. They have not played to the Eric Musselman standard at all or what Arkansas fans expect out of Arkansas basketball going back even to the Mike Anderson years. Uh, So, like, this is is the worst Arkansas team we've seen in a while. So, I've seen worse Arkansas teams go into Oxford and get, you know, trounced. So, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go – I'm gonna go with Ole Miss in this one. and Say the streak ends for Eric Musselman. Jordan, who do you have?
2: Yeah, I got Ole Miss too. Man. And this is one of those to where if if it was in Bud Walton, I would take Arkansas actually because the these two teams, you know, Arkansas is not playing well anywhere. Um, I know that's not what y'all want to hear, but they're they're not playing well at home. They're not playing what they're really not playing well on the road. Um, but one thing that Ole Miss has had is been a really good home court um, advantage, a really good home court record. And I feel like this—that's probably what's gonna get Ole Miss back um, to playing pretty good ball. I don't think Ole Miss is really good, to be honest. I put out a tier list where this morning on Twitter, Twitter, to where they're kind of in the tier three of all the teams that can make the NCAA tournament. Um, but to me, I feel like they have a lot more they have to do. They—they um, they don't have that quality win, um, in my opinion. So they're gonna have to find that somewhere. And they cannot afford a home bad home loss to Arkansas uh, for the tournament chances. So I think they'll come back, come back home, and they'll 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 be energized to play um, and try to get that first win
0: against Musselman. Jordan, I am very much the same mind to you when it comes to Ole Miss numbers. Hate this team, um, really. They rightfully they well,
2: so. You saw them play last night, and it's yeah. and they lost at LSU as well, and then they got trounced at Tennessee. So. At home, everybody's plays well at home, but you have to win some road games. And I I don't know if they will this year or not.
0: Yep. You're preaching to the choir to me on that one, believe me, Maddie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, if it wasn't obvious already, I'm gonna go with Ole Miss here. Kim Palm, for some reason is being very, very generous and has this game at 7974. For Ole Miss, um, at 69%, I feel like the confidence rate should be a little higher and the points disparity should probably be a little wider, but... I'm tired of talking about how terrible Arkansas is. So, David, let's go to the other Mississippi game this
0: week. Don't worry, we get to talk about Arkansas later. Uh, again, when in this the, in this episode, but let's talk about the other big game in the state of Mississippi, and that, of course, is Auburn visiting Mississippi State on Saturday. Really, this week is a test for how good Auburn actually is. Now, we talked about this uh, this off season. Auburn last year won this game in Neville against Mississippi State, but in that game, Mississippi State could not buy a bucket from deep. They could not hit a three. It it did not happen, and Mississippi State kept that game close without hitting any three-pointers. And like I pointed out, Tolu Smith, actually took Janai Broom to school in that game. Um, the stats really outweighed Tolu Smith winning that five-spot battle. This year, these two will face off again in Starkville. Mississippi State has added some more consistent shooting with guys like Josh Hubbard. Kim Palm has this game in what's looking like a that fun 60% front range where upsets like to happen every now and then. Last week, it was Arkansas beating Texas A&M in that kind of uh, matchup range. Kim Palm has this 75-71 Auburn at 63%. Guys, who do you have? Jordan, we'll start with you. Who are you picking in this one?
2: Well, take Mississippi State. Um, yeah. so I I do not like Auburn away from home. Um the only two games they've played in SEC play at home are two of the bottom three or four teams um in the in the conference in Vanderbilt and Arkansas. Um, so historically, under Bruce Pearl, they're not a good road or neutral site team especially in conference. That's typically where they struggle. And Mississippi State, it being a Saturday mid-afternoon game, the hump is going to be packed. It's going to be rocking. And they kind of play similar to Auburn. They both kind of butt heads, like you mentioned. Um, They both try to pound the paint with Tolu and Janai. But I like Mississippi State's guards a little bit more um, than, than Auburn's. And I think they'll end up making several threes. Um, this game kind of what they did against Alabama when they faced off um, in Starville. They, they started out on fire from three, um, which is, you know, not their MO this year, but they shoot a lot better at home than they do on the road. So I, I think Mississippi state's going to slip up Auburn um, on Saturday as well, kind of coming off of a very emotional game um, in
0: Tuscaloosa on Wednesday. I feel that for sure. Um, you know, Mississippi state really needs that quad one win. Maddie, who do you have in this one?
1: I'm going to go Mississippi State as well since I picked Auburn for the Auburn-Alabama game. You know, as Jordan said, there's going to be a lot of mental and physical exhaustion because that game is going to be, I think, a nail-biter. I I think they're just going to go in tired, and they're going to go into a hard Mississippi State atmosphere um, to play against. So I think Mississippi State's going to have this one. Again, I think it's going to be a slim margin here, probably the four- to five-point range. Um, possibly a last second shot situation like we saw in Arkansas and Texas A&M. But I think Mississippi State's got this one.
0: Why do I feel like we're setting ourselves all up for failure? We're going against uh, the computer here and everything. And I, I've got to put my money where my mouth is when I pick Mississippi State's front court as better than Auburn's front court uh, this uh, this offseason. So I'm also going Mississippi State at home um, in an upset win. We all went with the upset. So uh, I feel the trend of the unanimous pick problem about to hit – hit home here because it's going to be hard for auburn to lose two games in one week and we're picking majority two of us believe that alabama is going to beat auburn and now we've got unanimous mississippi state beats auburn in Starkville. but uh let's find out this week it's gonna be uh it's gonna be crazy so i'm saying that there's plenty of room for us to be wrong in this one but uh all of us picking mississippi state so yeah clean sweep on that one go ahead patty
1: All right, so next up, Tennessee is staying in state, is going to head over to Nashville to face Vanderbilt this week. We'll go pretty quick here. I don't think that there's going to be much to root for when it comes to Vanderbilt in this one. It's kind of been pretty ugly. If the theme Uh,
0: wasn't rivalry this week, then I don't think we'd be talking about this
1: game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, of course, we know Tennessee is kind of the exact opposite of what we just mentioned about Vanderbilt. But like you said, it's a rivalry. We got to mention it. It's in the title of the show. So, I mean, you know, last season, Vandy had that game-winning shot against Tennessee at home. Um, so it, it was really kind of the the stunner of the year. But looking at Kim Pom, this game's picked the balls at 94% for a double-digit win. Do either of y'all show any signs of life winning in memorial for Vanderbilt on this one?
0: No, absolutely not. I, I, I have no signs of life for the, the Tennessee's defense is overwhelming, and also Vanderbilt was a more talented team last year um, to pull off that victory, and they were hot. This team's ice cold lacks lacks certain players that they need um, to pull off that victory. Tennessee's a better offense this year, and they less frequently go on droughts than they did in last year's team. I, I'm sure Jordan agrees with me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, if they if Tennessee didn't have Dalton connect this year, I, I would say this might be a closer game because Tennessee in the past two years haven't had that go to scorer um, like they do with Dalton this year. Like Zakai Ziegler and Besky, Um they're they're good scorers, but they're not a go to person. Um, so now you know if they're going a drought, they just give it to Dalton and say go get us a bucket. Um, no, I think the spread will probably be around seventeen and a half, which is really large for a road a road game in conference, but I say it'll probably be around that. And I say Tennessee covers.
0: Fair enough. Maddie, who's your pick? We we know who the pick is. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Vanderbilt for everybody. All right. Let's get into this one because this is also one of those games that I don't feel like if circumstances weren't there, we wouldn't be talking about it. But Arkansas and Kentucky College Game Day is headed to Bud Walton on Saturday, and we're going to be joining them with our January edition of Hoops on the Road. Uh, Tristan Ferris from A Sea of Blue will be joining us uh, for that Kentucky-Arkansas game. Yes, I know we're cheating, um, but this is year one of this series, and yes, we're going to stay stick to budget and uh, stay in Fayetteville for going on the road on this. But it's really because like Kentucky's there, and you're going to watch about, like, six to seven you know nba draft picks on the floor at any given moment you will not go the first 35 minutes of this game without there being a future nba player on the floor it's not going to happen there, that's there's that much talent in this game now this game is between two coaches who have a lot of respect for each other quite a bit both cal and Muss are former nba coaches cal is called Muss one of the best player developers in college basketball and Muss has basically said the same thing about cal there's also that great story between how Cal let Musk know that he was getting fired between from the Dominican Republican national team a few years ago. Just a really fun history between these two. But since Muss has taken over Arkansas, Arkansas leads the series between these two teams. And in fact, both these coaches have found more success at in the other team's building uh, than at home. Um, you know, Cal beats Muss and Bud Walton in 2019 and in 2023, and then Muss beats Cal in 2021 and 2023 in Rupp. It's given birth to a new era of the Kentucky-Arkansas, not quite a rivalry rivalry. Um, probably the best we've seen since Nolan and Patino were the coaches here. But Arkansas stinks this year. Uh, who do you guys got, Jordan, if you want to go ahead with the pick and go ahead first with that one? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I probably won't go as in depth as y'all probably will, but um I I will say Kentucky will will win this. And I think it'll probably be by twelve to fourteen points if I had to guess by the end of the game. Kentucky, I, I was afraid of this um, because Cal has been, you know, stuck under a rock for the past eight to ten years playing a a very slow, deliberate offensive system. Now they've sped it up. They're number one in fast break, they're one of the faster teams running. Um, and gunning this year. And they've got dudes now with, you know, Reed Shepard, you can just throw out there on the winger in the corner and shoot 80, 70, 60%, whatever he's shooting from three. And then Antonio Reeves has always really been good. Now they got Big Z, the legend. So <laughs> you, you've just got so many weapons on this team. That, I mean, you had to I mean cover to Bradshaw, DJ Wagner. I mean, there are so many guys on this team that are just playing so well right now. Um, and I think that speaks for itself how they dominated. Uh, Georgia and then or they dominated Georgia and then they let them back in the game. Same thing they did to Mississippi State. They jumped out to 20-plus point leads and kind of let them sneak back in. But um, I feel like that Texas A&M game kind of woke them up. They were sleepwalking against Florida and Missouri early on in conference play. Um, but they're really hitting their stride offensively, consistently scoring 90-plus points a game in conference. So uh, give me the cats just because I don't think Arkansas is going to be able to score Uh, you know, over
0: 80 points this
2: game.
0: Yep, fair enough. Um, Maddie, what are you thinking here?
1: Yeah, I'm seeing Kentucky grab a pretty easy win here. Um, But that is if we continue to see the same Razorback team that we've been seeing. The only way I see this Arkansas team even getting close and making it a game is if we see that Duke-Purdue team that came out and actually put on a show for for everybody and played decent basketball that we're kind of used to seeing from this Arkansas team. Um, But that's kind of looking like it's going to be a stretch. So I'm taking Kentucky pretty easily in this one.
0: Yeah, um, South Carolina shouldn't have come in and beaten uh, Arkansas and Bud Walton. That's uh, pretty much just my case in point, because South Carolina, I'm going to be very clear about this, was not a team that was should have come into Bud Walton and win. They're not that good. Um, the thing is is that Arkansas is that bad, um, given stretches throughout this point of the season. And yeah, they played great against you know that exhibition game against Purdue, put up 100 points against UNC Wilmington, who's an excellent three-point shooting team, uh, and beat Kentucky and Rupp, blah, 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 you know, Duke, whatever you want to say about Arkansas, and finding ways to win, and even that Texas A&M game, they find a way to win in a must-win situation. The difference here is Kentucky is an outstanding three-point shooting team. They have a great offense, and this is probably the worst defensive team Eric Musselman has put on, and they allow a lot of points around the perimeter as well. Um, Even though Kentucky's defense is not the best, it's very much middle of the pack in the SEC. Their offense is outrageous, uh, and it's it's hard to stop. The you we just you know Jordan just said it a minute ago. Look at all the names he just listed. All those guys are an offensive threat, and they can do it in different ways. You got DJ Wagner who can penetrate paint at any given point and can shoot the three a little bit. You got Rob Dylanham. You put the ball in his hand, and he does something special. Reed Shepard can't miss from deep, and then of course like yeah, as he. you've got big Z, uh who's just now stepped onto the floor and uh you know is better than Victor Wimbanyama, according to Bitcoin. It's all um, they need. Yeah. All they need, according to big blue nation. Um, Yeah. So I'm also very much expecting Kentucky to overwhelm Arkansas with offense. So I'm going Kentucky for this one. For those of you who are curious, yes, Kentucky is favored on Ken Palm, 88, 81 by 74% in Bud Walton. Uh, I'd also pound the over in that game. If I was a betting man and put more points down for Kentucky and I'd imagine they're going 90 plus in this game.
1: All right, boys, the last one, we've got the Mike White showdown. Georgia heads to Gainesville to face the Gators. Both these teams, since letting go of their last coach, Mike White being one of them, have had their team going in a positive direction. So, guys, what do you think is the most interesting aspect here, and who are you going to go with?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the things that we've seen Florida do well is win on the glass. Um, You know, over 10 points or over 10 rebounds a game better than their opponents. And then also Florida's offense uh, isn't quite to the level of Alabama, but they do take that analytical approach like Alabama does. And they've got a pretty decent offensive rating at 115.8. They're getting better. They're improving as a basketball team over time. The thing is, is I don't think Georgia's offense can handle Um, Florida's offense, um, you know, they're sitting down with one of the worst offenses in the SEC in Georgia. Uh, yeah, they put up 90 points on Kentucky, but also Kentucky's got some defensive problems that they need to figure out and practice right now. So, I'm very much on Todd Golden's side in this one, but I do again, I hold very much firmly. Georgia's going to win a game that you don't expect them to win and find themselves in the conversation at the bubble at some point this season. I like Georgia a lot. They got the talent for a young team, and I think they're going to be fighting for something. But I'm going Florida in this one.
2: Yeah, Georgia really needs a big game from Abir Rahim, um, similar to what he did against Kentucky on the road, because Florida's really good at home. Um, you know, they, they took Kentucky down to, you know, the last shot um, at home to, to start off SEC play. And yeah, Florida's got a really solid offense. They they do not shoot the ball well um, from anywhere. Actually, they they thirty three percent free th- or three point shooters. Uh, the one of the worst free throw shooting teams All in the country world. at sixty seven percent. Home away doesn't matter. They're they're bad wherever they go. So if Georgia's going to win, they're going to need some help from Florida missing shots and missing free throws. Because like you said, Georgia's one of the worst offenses in the conference, only averaging seventy six. 76, points per game. And they do play really well defensively. But like I said, they don't have the guys to run with Florida. And they're really going to have to dictate the pace. And doing that on the road is just so hard, especially for a younger team like Georgia. Uh, But they really need this win. They need a quad one win like this badly, especially on the road. They're going to get an opportunity here and they're going to get one next week at home against Alabama. So they really need one of these two, um, and I feel like probably their best chance will be um, on the road at Florida because I think Alabama will probably get them at home. But um, they'll come in playing ex- inspired, but I, I think Florida is going to be too too up and down for them for Georgia to keep up.
0: Yeah, very much so. Maddie, who you got?
1: I'm going to go Florida as well, mainly because of the, the fact that it's in Gainesville. You know, I think if they were at home – uh georgia might give them a run for their money but like you guys said florida doesn't have the best shooting but neither does georgia i think they're gonna hedge them out and take a take a home win here
0: all right yeah kim palm does have this game 83 77 florida at 73 percent for anybody who is curious all right feels like we're putting up a united front this week in a lot of our picks a lot of A lot of like-minded thinking this week, but I want to thank Jordan so much for being here today. Jordan, uh, why don't you let everyone know where they can find you? And any last thoughts on this week of basketball we got coming up ahead?
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at HarperNation24 and also over on Tide Illustrated, uh, Alabama's affiliate of the Rivals Network. Um, I'm the head basketball analyst over there as well as the recruiting insider. So, I'm always posting stuff about Alabama basketball recruiting, team, season, offseason, everything Alabama basketball over on Tide Illustrated. Um, yeah, it, it's SEC play has not disappointed. Um, there has been a lot of really good games and some unexpected results, which always happens in conference play. You see it all around the country, like West Virginia beating Kansas. Um, results like that is what makes college basketball so much fun especially during conference play. And SEC is one of the, the, the most fun conferences to watch uh, when it gets going. So, it's going to be a lot of opportunities for some of these fringe teams like Georgia, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, to be able to get some high-quality wins on their resume. And, you know, they, they say it's only January, but these January games count just as much as those in March. So, you have to look back at these, and you, you'll see a lot of missed opportunities for certain teams. Um, but I'm excited for it. Always excited for a uh, fresh week of SEC
0: basketball. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Guys, please go check out Jordan and all the great stuff they're doing over there at Tide Illustrated. That's this week's show. Please like and subscribe to the channel and follow us anywhere you get your podcasts. This is very much still a growing show where we talk SEC hoops. And if you love basketball, we want to have you here. So until next time, we'll see you guys next week.
1: Thanks, guys. Have a great week.